for joining us on these special episodes of the UGA RUF podcast. The audio you're about to hear is from our spring 2021 winter retreat. Justin Clement, the former UGA RUF campus minister, was our speaker. And what you're about to hear is his last and final talk of our weekend together called A Picture of Abiding. Enjoy. All right. Hope everyone slept well last night. Um, I know we've hit you with a number of resources, but I was, I was walking up, had a great conversation with one of you, and reminded me of another book that uh, you might want to check out. It's by an author named Tish Warren, and it's called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. You could read it to, like this afternoon, but she really does a great job talking about just how living in God's presence throughout the day is, um, is possible even while you're making peanut butter and jelly. Like the cover of the book is peanut butter and jelly. So hope that's another good reference for you, Tish Warren, Liturgy of the Ordinary. So uh, this morning, um, it's not a talk. I've been doing talks for y'all. This is a sermon. We're going to get into one text, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and I'm excited. Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there or follow along. Um, and while you're turning there, I want to remind you that I've observed that powerful things occasionally come in small packages. Uh, I love sports, watch a lot of Georgia basketball, watch a lot of Georgia football. Um, any, uh, anyone who watches Georgia basketball knows the name Severe Wheeler. Severe Wheeler is five foot nine. He says five foot ten in the program. That's a bunch of bull. He's five nine. <laughs> five nine. And there's guys out there that are six eleven. And he's out there standing on, on midcourt. And, and you know the other team's like, this guy's a joke. Look how small he is. But then you see him. And he absolutely packs a punch. You can't even guard him. He's so quick. Small things come, or powerful things come in small packages. My wife, Elizabeth. <laughs> she loves it when I do this to her. She's five feet tall. But like Severe Wheeler, don't sleep on her. <laughs> she packs a punch, and she will protect her three kids and her husband with everything that she has. Powerful things often come in small packages. This passage that we're looking at, one of my favorites in the New Testament, is a small little pack, a small little passage tucked right in, so small that we're so easy in our Bible reading just to gloss right past it. Because it's hidden in these sensational stories earlier on in Luke chapter 10 of disciples exercising demons. Trampling on scorpions, kind of New York Times headline kind of stuff. And yet, I think tucked right in here in Luke chapter 10, we see what God wants to show us this morning about abiding in Jesus. So let me read our passage for us. Now, as the disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, he, she just told Jesus to do something, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. 
Dear Heavenly Father, um, send your spirit to be with us as we explore your holy, inerrant, inspired word of God. Apart from your spirit, uh, we cannot understand. We beg you, Lord, to help us to be encouraged and to be challenged and to see the wonder of Jesus, that he is worthy of all of our worship and our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember being with my friend Stephen, and Stephen was so animated. He was pointing. He was saying, Justin, oh my gosh, do you see them? They're right there. Do you see them? And I'm like, see what? All I see is a whole bunch of water and rocks. And he's like pulling his hair out. He's like, oh my gosh, Justin, do you see them? You are right on top of them. And I was like, Stephen, I don't. This situation... Stephen was taking me fly fishing, and I'm like, I've done it like two times. I had the same fishing pole, or the, you know, all the same, the same gear, all the same stuff, the waders, the whole deal. But I'm looking at the exact same situation as Stephen, and I don't see anything. All I see is water and rocks. And as an expert, he saw something below the surface. My eyes were open. I thought I was seeing, but I was missing so much. Could that be many of us in our journey to follow Jesus Christ? Could we be missing things even as our eyes are open that are right under our nose like ten rainbow trout? Could we be seeing our life and yet missing so much? Could we be distracted with good things that we actually miss what our heart is truly yearning for? See, this is what God has on offer for us this morning in Luke chapter 10. Through Jesus' encounter with these two women, we need God to help us see ourselves. To see ourselves clearly and ultimately see Jesus in all his love and his patience. See, Luke 10 offers for us this morning a picture of abiding. That we might see and savor and enjoy Jesus for ourselves. So I want us to look at this passage, Luke 10, in three different ways. I want us to first look at the picture. I want us to notice there's a problem. And then thirdly, we'll close with the proclamation. Picture, a problem, a proclamation. Let's look at the picture. What is the picture of abiding in Jesus? It's Mary's enjoyment. She's one of the sisters. They're at Martha's house. Martha welcomes Jesus. And Mary is the one who is sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, Sort of like that word disciple that I had to explain. We have that semantic saturation thing. We need to understand this is not 2020. This is not 2021. This is first century, patriarchal, traditionalist time. A single woman with a popular rabbi and a house full of his male disciples, and obviously people from the town of Bethany, which is where they were, all around. Two women surrounded by all these men. And she is the one, Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging on every word. She is the one that sat and listened, according to verse 39. See, sitting is a very significant phrase. Um, it's the posture of a disciple following her rabbi in submission. This is a very big deal. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, 
Paul talking about his own training as this like learned man and genius. Listen to how he describes sitting with his rabbi. I am a Jew born in, in Tarsus, brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers. That idea of sitting at someone's feet wasn't just like she couldn't find a chair. It was symbolic of saying she was sitting at her rabbi's feet, submitting, hanging on to every word. Can you imagine? Imagine the scene. Dozens and dozens of men from the city, disciples, who have been following Jesus thinking, what in the world does she think she is doing? Who is she? After all, actually, while the Bible doesn't teach this, The cultural expectation was that women were not allowed to study the Torah. There's this uh, body of ethical Jewish phrases. It's not biblical, but it was a, a sort of an oral tradition called the Mishnah. Listen to what it says. May the words of the Torah be burned. They should not be handed over to women. Like that gives me chills, honestly, to say that to y'all. That would have been more of the cultural expectation that these people were living in. And Mary doesn't care. She goes to sit at Jesus' feet because she wants to be with him. Don't miss the fact and the value that Jesus places on women. Jesus could have said, you need to get up. You're a woman. You, You can't sit at my feet. This is only a place for men. Jesus has seized the value and places so much dignity on women as disciples. Jesus is not afraid to push against the popular culture of his day, which was traditionalism. And he encourages her to sit as a disciple. This posture of sitting communicates submission, humility, and allegiance to Jesus. But notice there's not only just the sitting. What's the other uh, word that we see in uh, verse 39 listening she's hanging on his words wanting to receive from from him to be with him not speaking but soaking it up listening involves a sense of surrendering and a sense of actually hearing surrendering is that letting go of everything in your hands that there's nothing All the things that we're clenching, our regrets, our fears, our control, our expectations, and simply giving them to him. Open palms, ready to receive. It is really hard to listen well unless we identify the things that we're really clenching onto, that really have a hold of our hearts. But there's also hearing. It's more than just data reception. It's a hunger. It's a savoring. It's a holding on to every eye twitch, every voice inflection. Do you see the picture that Jesus gives to us in Luke chapter 10? This amazing picture of enjoyment, an unlikely disciple that would have blown the minds of first century Jewish culture. Don't miss this. Here she is confidently sitting at her master's feet, no matter the opinions of others, and Jesus welcomes her. It's a beautiful picture. But so often, honestly, I want to have more of this in my life. I do the opposite of Mary. So we have a problem. I want you to look at verse 40. There is a problem. Look at verse 40. 
There's another sister. So you're, they're at Martha's house. She owns it. She welcomes Jesus. She greets him at the door. But in verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. At this point, we really don't need to throw Martha under the bus because Martha welcomes her into her home. She really desired to be a disciple too. Her instincts are good, but she was distracted. So what's the problem? What's getting in the way of abiding? The text says that she was distracted with much serving. Martha was busy doing wonderful things for Jesus, but she missed the core opportunity, the core priority, which is with. One of my mentors that has really made a profound impact on me is he said, I believe the most powerful word in the Bible is the word with. You know why? That's the word Emmanuel, that Jesus came, God with us. And that idea of being with another person being in connection, being in relationship. And look, this is such a trap for me. Where have you tended to be distracted at times with serving and doing so much for Jesus at the expense of being with him? Why is that so elusive for us? Can you see Martha in her house? Can you see yourself in her shoes? Perhaps she was flying around the kitchen cooking food, polishing the silver, silver, pouring the wine, wanting to make everything perfect for Jesus. But yet she was distracted with much serving. Can you hear the desperation in Martha's voice in verse 40? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you hear the loneliness, the sense of desperation This is the same exact phrase that the disciples say to Jesus when they're in the boat and the storm is is ravaging their boat. And the disciples wake up Jesus and they say, Jesus, do you not care for us that we are perishing? Do you hear that sense of desperation? Do you experience that sometime? I mean, what you're going through, you're like, Lord, do you see me? Do you care about me? Do you know what I'm going through? Jesus does care. Can you hear the heart of an orphan in Martha's voice? I'm alone. Do you not care? Can you see Martha's tightened lip as she tells Jesus to do something? Jesus Tell my sister to get up and help me. Can you hear that desperation? It really, really, really honestly hits home with me. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, look how hard I'm working for you. I want to make everything perfect for you. Why am I the only one pulling all the weight? Which is such a messed up way of viewing it. But I feel that sometimes, don't you? Don't you see how hard I'm working for you? Don't you see the sacrifices I'm making for you? Don't you know this is all for you? Did you notice what Martha could not do? She could not stop and just listen. She couldn't sit and receive that wily thief of busyness that we've been talking about all weekend distracts us from Jesus just like it distracted Martha. Can you sit alone? By yourself for a few minutes. In 1670, 
a brilliant French mathematician and philosopher and physicist, pretty talented guy, named Blaise Pascal wrote this in 1670. So that's like way over, that's over 100 years before America even existed. This is what he says. I think this could be written today. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That so resonates with me and so much of my story for so long. So busy doing good things because I really do want to be a disciple and follow Jesus. And yet I couldn't be still. Sitting is hard. Busy is, instinct, is instinctive. Slowing down long enough to look at my heart honestly was too much for me to bear. It was so much easier just to serve and to help out in church activities. But like Martha, we have a problem. Our heart that tends to get distracted with serving. So what do we do? We see this amazing picture of sitting and savoring. We know the problem. We've been unpacking it all weekend. But I want you to see thirdly and lastly the pronouncement. There's a pronouncement. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Stop. Time out right there. Before we move on to the rest of what she says, Martha, Martha, Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Samuel, Samuel, Absalom, Absalom, Moses, Moses, Peter, Peter, and now Martha, Martha. Repeated names were a Hebrew expression of intimacy, love, care, and relationship. Can you see Jesus' smile and his tenderness? Not his shame. Not a, how can you be so clueless again, Martha? That's what I sometimes expect. But instead, even in the face of her distraction and serving, Jesus moves toward her with intimacy and patience and love in front of a room full of men and says, Martha, Martha. Hmm. She must have felt so silly. He could have crushed her, but he was tender and gentle with her. Can you see Jesus smile and hear his tenderness toward you as well this morning? That he moves towards you as well and says, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Ben, Ben, Anna, Anna, Caroline, Caroline, Hannah, Hannah, all of your names. He moves towards you with that same gentleness and compassion and care. I care about you. And because I care about you, and because of our relationship, you must hear this as well, Martha. You are troubled and anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, serving Jesus with your talents is a great thing. It really is. Leading an RUF small group is a really good thing. Being an RUF intern is a really good thing. Being an RUF campus minister, Ben, is a really, really good thing. Setting up chairs before a large group is a really, really good thing. 
Telling your story of grace through Instagram and all those social media platforms is a really, really good thing. Sharing the gospel is a really, really good thing. Tithing your money to the church, please do that, is a really, really good thing. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. The good portion of being with Jesus. We must be careful never to replace being with God with working for God. Can I say that again? I think that's very significant. And my heart falls into this almost weekly. We must never replace being with God with working for God. Mary chose the good portion Psalm 16.5 says this, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. Psalm 73.26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 142.5 writes, I cry to you, O Lord. you hear the desperation? Do you hear the sense of like, you are all I have? <laughs> If this whole thing falls apart, it's all, like, you've got to carry me. Psalm 142, 5. I cry to you, O Lord, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So many things are good, but Jesus tells his disciples one thing is necessary. Receiving God's word like a fine wine. Like water in a desert. Like rich food. Rich food at a feast when you're starving. We receive from him first. He serves us. He pours the wine. He prepares the meal. He is the one who prepares the feast of his teaching. He moves toward us first with patience. And today, Jesus continues to be patient. To be patient with anxious and troubled Justins and Marthas. Like me and like you. Even this weekend... Don't miss this. Jesus has moved toward all of us with his warmth and his embrace, even when our hearts are cold. The real question is, how can Jesus continue to be patient with me and with you and with Martha day after day? We actually get a clue in the very next verse. It's chapter 11. It's very fascinating in the the structuring of Luke's gospel. It begins like this, chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying at a certain place. Right after Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, enjoying being with the one that she loves. Now Jesus is spending time being with his father, the one that he loves. Jesus has always been with his father. He has always been in perfect communion with his father for all of eternity. In his earthly mission to seek and save the Marys and the Marthas of the world, Jesus needed the communion of his heavenly Father to fulfill the mission that the Father had given to him. He was just as dependent on the Holy Spirit's power and work in his life as we are today. Let that sink in. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had to entrust his life to his Father and the power of the Spirit. 
As a son, he fully submitted to his father. He listened without wavering. He received from his father. They were in perfect communion always. But one day, one day, as Jesus called out to his father in desperation, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was met with silence. No response. Radio silence. Nothing. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The repeated words of intimacy and love and care. My God, my God. Silence. Nothing. Why would the father not rise to his feet as he heard his son cry out, my God? So that your father, your heavenly father, would rise to his feet even when we don't have the strength. Why were Jesus' cries of desperation met with silence? So that every single one of our cries of desperation would be heard by our father in heaven. Our father is continually patient and gracious toward his people today because Jesus was the only faithful one who fully met the law's demands. He was the true son, the true disciple, the obedient one. Jesus was willingly cut off on the cross of Calvary. Jesus called out and his father did not respond. Silence. Why? God willingly, because he loves the world, sent Jesus into the world for us. Jesus willingly came and was cut off from the Father, receiving the penalty, the hell that every single one of us deserve, so that we might be in perfect union with our Father forever. There, there, there is no other way. Either our obedience, our perfection, our perfect discipleship, our perfect discipline, or him as our substitute. He was the faithful one. And he received our penalty, not with an arm behind his back like, I guess, I guess. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you Friends, if you were here this morning, if you were here this morning and you know that you're not a Christian, maybe you've grown up in PCA churches, you know Reformed theology, or you're Baptist, or I don't care what denomination you are, but you know in your soul that for the very first time Jesus is beautiful to you. I want you to see that God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus for you by name. And that Love and that wonder is worthy of giving him everything in our life. It really is amazing for our busy, distracted hearts that would much prefer productivity to relationship. He experienced our alienation so that we might receive relationship forever. And he did it because he loves us and he would do it a million times again. Because of those perfect prayers of Jesus, because of Jesus standing in our place, paying the penalty, our Father loves to receive Martha's back daily.
day after day after day after day. For my friends this morning who are not yet Christians, can I just invite you to take one baby step, one baby step, before you leave this retreat, can you talk to someone that you really trust? Maybe, maybe it's an intern, maybe it's Ben, maybe it's someone in, that was in your discussion group. Can you pull that person aside one-on-one and say this, ask this question, what do you think it actually means to sit at Jesus' feet? Just ask the question, have a conversation. Can you take that small little baby step? For my friends here this morning who say, I am a follower of Jesus, but man, Justin, I'm like you. I'm like Martha. I get distracted too. Can I leave you with something that I think is absolutely beautiful? I hope this captures you like it captures me. This is not the last time we hear about Martha. This is Luke chapter 10. Later on in another gospel, the gospel of John, in John chapter 11, Martha pops up again. But now it's at the end of Jesus' life. And you know why she pops up? She is in a moment of crisis and suffering and desperation. We learn that not only does Martha have a sister named Mary, who we heard about, there's also a brother named Lazarus. And all three of them are single and they live together. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But Lazarus tragically gets sick and dies. And Jesus moves toward Mary and Martha in their desperation. And um, even before Jesus got to Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, Martha is outside the village waiting for Jesus. And she says, Jesus, you have the power. You have the power to heal. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The reason why I want to end with that is because I think that we forget these are real people. These are not just characters in a story like a Charles Dickens novel. These are real people that had real feelings and a real story and had real sandals and dirt roads and the whole deal. And we can tend to think, well, Martha popped up here and that's the end of the story. Guys, Martha was still in a relationship with Jesus and God was faithful. Jesus was faithful. And even as they're moving toward their relationship, Martha sees and understands the kindness and the patience of him. It took time for Martha to see the wonder of following Jesus. And Jesus is not in a hurry. So my friends, you're leaving here as followers of Jesus. Jesus is not in a hurry. He hasn't given up on you. He loves you. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So let's give ourselves some grace. Let's give ourselves some time. Just like Jesus was willing to give Martha some time. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love for the world. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to submit 
to the rescue mission that your father gave to you. Thank you for your willingness, Jesus, to be fully acquainted with the brokenness and the sadness and the sorrow and to be tempted in every way, just like we are yet without sin, according to Hebrews. Thank you for being the faithful one that was willing to upset the cultural stereotypes of his day and age, even moving toward women to be disciples. You move toward the people in the culture who were sick, the lepers. You even touched death, which was a no-no in your culture. You willingly allowed yourself to do that, to give us a picture of what it means to love God and love others. Lord, but you lived that perfect life for us. We get all the credit for your perfect life of obedience and love. That now when the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, sees us, he sees us through the perfect love and righteousness of Jesus. And when we are so tempted to look at our shame and our sin and the ways that we feel like we fall on our face every day in our desire to follow you, we can look to the cross of Calvary and know that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus was willingly put to open shame. Jesus was willingly cut off from the Father, receiving the hell that we deserved so that now there is no more condemnation. There is no more shame that we have the embrace of our Father for all of eternity. Lord, let those not just be good doctrinal truths. Let those not just be tight theology, but let those truths animate our hearts, capture our imaginations, that we might be those kind of people that move toward others with compassion and understanding, that we might move toward the Marthas of our community with patience, not judgment that we might move toward people who are really hard to love because we know I am so hard to love, but Jesus has been patient with me. How can I not love this person? But only your gospel and your grace would move our heart to do that. But Lord, your Holy Spirit is indwelling every believer and we trust that you are conforming us more and more to your image. Empower us to take your yoke upon our shoulders because your yoke is light. You are gentle and lowly in heart. Let us find rest for our souls in you. In Jesus' name, amen.